Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast. We are a small church located in West Lafayette, Indiana. This podcast is our recorded Sunday morning teachings. Join us as we learn to love, grow, and share what God has given us. Twelve years uh, consecutively. And so Brittany and I got married 12 years ago when we moved back to Indiana and been a part of Grace Church since then. Um, and it's, we've, we're just here to, that's why we moved here, was to be part of this church, um, just to help it, uh, help it grow and help, help God's work here at Grace, Grace Church. Uh, prior to that, I was a student here at Purdue. Um, came to Purdue as a non-believer, uh, but then ended up finding Christ here at Purdue, and I, and got plugged in. Part of that story was me getting plugged in with this church. But what's, what got me to this church was actually was walking by and hearing Tom Short preach on campus. And so I was a non-believing student, but I was interested in faith, and I was seeking to know more about salvation. I passed Tom, and I heard some things that interested me, and I ended up skipping all my classes that afternoon and listened to him for the rest of the afternoon, and it was, it was awesome. It was exactly what I needed to hear at that time in my life. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of what Tom does here on campus and all the campuses he goes to, and I'm really excited that he's coming here to Purdue next week, and I just want to encourage you guys, if you have the opportunity, have the time, I, I would highly recommend you go listen to him. It is, if, if you're already a believer, um, what he does is very encouraging for your faith. Uh, if, if, you, if you're seeking and haven't come to Christ yet, the things that he shares are are very helpful in understanding what salvation is and, and how, how we come, uh, can accept it. And so next week, when Tom is here on the, on the two days that he's here, um, in the afternoon, I highly recommend going and finding him and, uh, and listening and hearing what he has to say. I did discover where he's going to be. Uh, he is going to be in the engineering mall. And so like one day, I think he's like at, the, at the engineering fountain, and then another day, he's you know, in one of the open grass areas, uh, just near the engineering fountain, and then another day he's, you know, from the fountain towards the stadium. He's like in an area that's uh, towards the stadium, but still in the engineering mall. And so if you're looking for Tom, if you go to the engineering mall, you should be able to find him. So uh, today we're going to be talking about suffering. Uh, we're in First Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, and I, I entitled this teaching, Suffer Well. Because uh, I think Peter here is telling us that when suffering comes, you know, how to endure it. Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at today. It's not the most encouraging topic to discuss when we're talking about suffering, but it is important. And I would say um, that all of us deal with suffering. I don't know that you can say, you know, if, if suffering comes, here's how you handle it. It's actually when suffering comes, here's how you handle it. I think we live in a fallen world. We live in a world with illness, disease, uh, disaster, natural disaster, man-made disaster. There's sin. Uh, people are selfish, uh, greedy, um, and there's death. And so all of this leads to, all, leads to suffering in all of our lives. Every, so everyone experiences suffering at some point in time. And so I think this, this section in, in First Peter is, is really good uh, resource, and I mean, all of the Bible, of course, but um, on, how, on w- when suffering comes, you know, how we endure it. Um, and then specifically, we'll get into it, but so we, we suffer for all kinds of reasons, and I, I mentioned a bunch of those. I think specifically in this passage, uh, Peter's talking about 
suffering due to injustice. And so, mainly persecution. And so you are, you are mistreated, uh, unjustly treated, for your faith or for doing good, and you suffer for it. And I think specifically that's the type of suffering Peter's talking about. So that's what, that's what we'll get into. All right, so our, our outline of 1 Peter uh, that we've been going through as a church uh, is up here. And right now we are in uh, the living as exiles in the world. Um, and so this is where we've been and where we're going and where we're at right now. You know, I was, I was looking at this, so the section that we're in right now, living as exiles in the world, in chapter 2, Peter talks about suffering, which is what we'll look at today. In chap- later in chapter 3, he goes on and talks about it again, uh, suffering. In this outline, we see, actually, he talks about it in chapter 1 as well, and uh, down in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, so I, I wonder if Peter wrote the book on suffering. You know, I, I don't know if First Peter is known as a book uh, of, you know, of learning about suffering, but it very well could be. He, he mentions suffering about in essentially every chapter of this book. Um, so, you know, s- some books are like that. So uh, I think of uh, the book of Philippians. In the book of Philippians, Paul mentions joy or rejoicing in every chapter. And so the book of Philippians is kind of known as, you know, a book for, as a source of joy, you know, joy in your life. And Paul wrote it from prison. He wrote the book of joy from prison, uh, which, is, which is pretty amazing. And so if you're looking for joy, Philippians is a great book to go to. Um, I think of 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, every chapter, Paul mentions Jesus' second, the second return of Christ, the coming return of Christ. And so the book of Thessalonians tends to be a book largely about Jesus' return. Um, and so that's a, that's a great resource for that. And then 1 Peter here, a lot about suffering. And so if you're looking you know, for some encouragement or, or some guidance to get through suffering, 1 Peter seems to be a great, a great resource. Um, also, while looking at this verse, I also noticed that he also talks a lot about grace. Uh, I think grace is mentioned in every chapter of this book, too, and so maybe there's a pairing there with when suffering, we need, we need grace, and that's, that might be a big part of it. Um, so, specifically, here in the, the living, in ex- in living as Exiles in the World, uh, Tom shared an outline of this section, which is on our next slide. So, while exiles, how do we keep our conduct honorable? And so this is where we're at now. So Tom, uh, last week, talked talk about how do we con- conduct ourselves toward authorities. And I would say, and I would replace that actually with, with governments, government authorities. And that's what we talked about yesterday. Um, today is our conduct towards masters. I would change that word masters and put in superiors. We don't usually use the term master much in our day and age. Um, but what I think he's talking about here, and we'll get into it, is our superiors. Um, how, do, how do we maintain good conduct towards superior, our superiors in our life? Um, and then, it's, you know, especially when those superiors are harsh. All right, and then uh, following this section, we'll talk about conduct towards spouses and then conduct towards all. And so, of course, uh, this, Peter wrote this book, or wrote this letter, to... Christian exiles who were dispersed through portions of the Roman Empire. They were dispersed in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so this letter is written to people who are Christians living in a non-Christian world. All right, they're exiles. And so Christians living in a non-Christian world are going to live countercultural. Right? They're going to live out their Christian faith. It's going to be not the same as what the culture is living. It's going to be countercultural. 
Uh, and so in the section we're going to look at today, I, I believe we're going to notice that when you live countercultural, the people in your life, the, the superiors or you know, the circle of influence in your life, they'll notice, and it could cause you to incur injustice, uh, un unfair discrimination or hostility from these people in your life. They don't agree with, what you're, with your beliefs. They don't agree with how you live your life. Um, and so sometimes they can, they can that'll make them upset. They can get harsh. They can get hostile. They can unfairly discriminate or even treat you with injustice. And so that's what we'll, we'll look at today. Um, I think this is very applicable to, to us. Um, our, the culture we live in is, is a good culture for the freedom of religion. We do live in a culture that honors freedom of religion, and that's good, and that helps us, and that keeps us able to live out our Christian faith without um, repercussions from the state or the government. But as the culture gets more and more anti-Christian or hostile towards Christianity, we may find ourselves living in a world that is um, not Christian, right? We're Christians living in a non-Christian world, and that seems to be uh, just developing more and more, and so we can relate to these exiles as they're living in a non-Christian world. All right, let's go ahead and uh, read through our passage. If you want to turn there, it is 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 18 to 25. I'll go ahead and read through this, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into it. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Of your souls. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for this morning, that we get to come together and uh, enjoy fellowship with one another, uh, get to come together to praise, worship you, Lord God, get to come together to hear from your word. Um, I thank you, Lord, for the society that we live in, that we can, we can come here freely. Uh, to worship you and learn from your word and, and freely live it out. Um, but I do, Lord, I do pray for um, those who are, who are suffering, Lord God. Help us in our suffering, Lord, as, as, we, as we live out our lives in a, in a fallen world. Um, Lord, today in particular, I think of Karim and Bruce's family and the, the suffering they're going through from the, loss of Bruce, from the loss of Bruce. Lord, I do pray that you would comfort them, bring them peace, and help them to endure the trial of this loss. Lord, I thank you so, I thank you so much for Bruce, and I thank you so much for his faith 
His faith was, insp- was inspiring, Lord God. He trusted you uh, through the whole ordeal. And Lord, I thank you for the promise, Lord, that you, when you return, you will bring to life those who have died in you. And that, Lord, we will see Bruce again, Lord, when you return. Lord, I pray for this morning. Help us to uh, hear from you, Lord God. Um, I have prepared some things to share this morning from First Peter, but Lord, I pray that it is your thoughts and your words uh, that are teaching us, that are moving us, um, that are helping us grow in you and, and grow in how we live our lives. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful you're part of our life. We invite you to be, be with us this morning, and to uh, um, we just pray for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so when, usually, the past few times when I teach, I, I don't usually come up with like three bullets or three ideas or four or whatever, you know, that kind of thing, I, which probably isn't good because then I end up a little disorganized, but what I like to do is we're going to just go through the verses. We're going to go through the verses, we're going to see what they have to say, um, and try to understand them, and then the, the prayers that the Holy Spirit will just help us understand His Word a little bit better. So we'll start with uh, 1 Peter 2, 18 and 19. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. All right, so it's saying, Servants, be subject to your masters. Um, I do not believe this is talking about slavery. Um, it's saying servants here, not slave. Um, this, this actually, this word for servant is different than the word that Paul and other apostles use when they call themselves servants of Christ. When they call themselves servants of Christ, they use a different word that uh, means bondservant or slave for life, or it's like a slave of Christ. And so in that situation, I think they are referring to themselves as, as a slave for Christ. But here, uh, Peter's using a different word, which, which means servants, a servant, like, like a household servant. And so like an, an employee of, of an estate is how I think about it. If, you know, b- back in these cultures, if, you know, some rich person had an estate and had lots of servants in their household and work in their grounds, this would be like a, a servant working for somebody. Um, and so instead of masters here, I'd put superiors. And so a servant would work for a superior. Um, you know, in this culture, you probably earn more than just a wage. You probably, they, your room and board is probably taken care of. Um, your, your wage is taken care of. Your livelihood is taken care of as, as you work for um, you know, the, the estate owner. And so it's a little different than how we would understand employment today, but I, I, I do believe that when he says, servants, be subject to your masters, he's talking about, you know, subordinates, be subject to your superiors. Um, and so the, the personal authorities that are in our life, I believe is what Peter's talking about. Be subject to the personal authorities in your life. And he's saying, be subject to them. You know, s- s- be subject, submit yourself to them, uh, o- obey them. You know, put yourself under them. You know, recognize their authority in your life. Be subject to them. Uh, when trying to, so thinking some of some modern day examples of re- these types of relationship, the, the superior subordinate relationship, I think of employers and employees. You know, as in our jobs, we have bosses. They have authority over us. They can, they can terminate our employment if you know if if we're not performing well or if or if we mess up. You know, they have authority over us. Uh, our bosses do at work. Um, teacher and a student, or professor and a student. 
And so as, as you guys are students here at Purdue, um, you guys, the professors and the teachers have authority to, to rate you and judge you and how well you're doing in, in your work. Um, and you've submitted yourselves to their authority to learn what they have to teach you. Um, and so they, they establish the rules of, of education and how it works. And, and we submit ourselves under that because we're, we're wanting to learn what, what they have to teach and, and get a degree. Right, there's, there's a goal in mind, but we have to submit ourselves uh, to this, in this relationship. I think of the military, uh, all up and down the chain of command, there's uh, superiors and subordinates. You know, think of a basic one, officer and enlisted. Uh, enlisted. The enlisted folks in the military are trained to respect and subject themselves to superior officers. Um, I, I think of uh, pastors and church members. So pastors have God-given authority in their church uh, to... To, to run the church in a, in a God-given way, and members of the church, we're called to um, obey and submit ourselves to, to, our, to our pastors, to subject ourselves, you know, recognize their authority, recognize and, re- and respect their position. And then finally, I thought of uh, the, the parent-child relationship. And, and, you know, the Bible commands children to obey their parents. It gives parents authority over children. And just... And so children have to submit themselves to their parents' authority. Uh, and so that can also be a situation where, um, where a subordinate is having to sub- subject themselves to a superior. So Peter talks about not only, so subject yourselves to your authorities, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And so this is, this is really difficult, but I, th- I think, Peter is wanting us to really set an example that is countercultural in how we submit ourselves to our authorities. And so in any of those examples that I gave, you could have an unjust superior. You can have a bad superior officer in the military. Um, you can have an, an employer that is harsh with you. Uh, you, know, you can have a, a professor who uh, doesn't ag- agree with your belief system and, and so tries to undermine your, your performance in school. You know, there, there could be any one of these scenarios. Um, you could find yourself as a believer or someone trying to do the right thing or do good and the superior doesn't agree with what you believe is good and tries to, uh, is hostile towards you. You know, this, this could, even with, with child-parent relationships, this, this could happen. You could uh, especially with older children, um, you know, I, I think of, you know, a, a, a child who maybe comes to Christ, maybe a teenager or a young adult who comes to Christ in a family that doesn't believe in Christ, and then so because of that, their family treats them harshly or becomes hostile to them. You know, we've, we've known a couple uh, students who have come here uh, from, from Students come here from all over the world, but mainly some of the students I'm thinking of you know, came from Asia where their families are not Christian. And then when they come here and they give themselves to Christ, that creates a barrier uh, between them and their parents. You know, their parents don't agree with their choice to follow Christ. And so that, that, can, that can cause hostilities in that um, superior-subordinate relationship there. And so how, as, as, the, as the subordinate, how do we treat our superiors who don't agree with us when we're doing the right thing. Um, so in, in the workplace or at school, uh, you know, how, how do we, what mentality do we have to have 
in order to continue to do, to follow God's will in our life, to, to follow God's commands and to stay on the right path. I think of Colossians 3, uh, 23 through 24. It says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so as you work hard, as you study hard and, and do well in your employment or your schooling or um, in, in your household or in the military, just remember that even if your bosses, your superiors don't agree with how you live your life, God does, and you're serving him. And so we, we always try to do the best we can, we try to be a good employee, res- respect our superiors, of course, but, and just remember we're working you know, for the Lord. Uh, I, think, I think Peter is, is saying this same thing as well. It's like, hey, when they're unjust, just be mindful of God and endure. You know, continue to respect them. Don't retaliate. Uh, continue to respect them. Just, you know, it, it'll cause suffering and it'll, and it'll cause unjust suffering. But it, when mindful of God, when doing it for God, God sees us and it's a very gracious thing to him. Um, I think this verse... Um, the end of it here, might be a biblical definition for the word patience. So enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly could be a, a definition of the word patience. So I don't know if you ever thought about patience um, and, and what that means, but when we find patience in the Bible, in our English translations, there's, there's other English translations that translate patience as long-suffering. So that, that Greek word is translated as patience or as long-suffering. And so being patient means you're able to suffer long, endure long-suffering, right? Looking up the definition of the word patience in the dictionary, uh, here's a couple. Uh, one is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. And so just to boil it down a little bit, the, the capacity to tolerate suffering without getting angry or upset, being patient. Um, another definition is the ability to endure difficult situations. Um, I would definitely classify enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly as a difficult situation. So having patience means you're able to endure this trial, this hardship, this, this suffering. I bring that up just because patience is one of the fruits of, of the Spirit living in us. You know, with, with God's Spirit living in us, uh, there are certain fruits that we live out that become part of our character, and one of those is patience. And so being able to suffer um, during sorrows is, is patience. You're, you're demonstrating uh, character that, that God is giving you through His Spirit. Um, I, I've heard it said a few times, you know, be careful when you pray to God and ask Him to give you more patience. Right, if we pray and ask for more patience, don't be surprised if a trial comes your way. Right? Because we learn patience by enduring sorrows. That's how we learn patience. And so um, I think Peter's trying to show us here or, or, or tell us, you know, when, when this injustice comes and the sufferings come, and endure it. Endure it being mindful of God. You know, be patient. Um, and this God, this is a gracious thing to God, and I believe this is a testimony to a world that, that doesn't behave this way. All right, the next verse here, um, 1 Peter 20. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? 
But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. All right, so this, the first half of this verse is, is a little difficult to, to talk about here. Um, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. I, I do believe that Peter here is talking about corporal punishment. All right, it's something that we don't really deal with in our culture in our day, so it's, I think it's a little hard, hard, hard to understand, and, and I think it's even a little hard to explain. Um, but corp, corporal punishment is using physical pain to punish someone. And, you know, when this happens through the justice system, it's, it's essentially because a, a person committed a crime uh, and is guilty of a crime, so a criminal, uh, one punishment could be corporal punishment, so they could be punished through, uh, phys- with physical pain. You know, in our society, we, that's really not an option as far as I know. I think really our, our punishments for our criminals in our society we live in is mainly imprisonment or fines. And so you're either fined or you're imprisoned depending on the crime you, you broke and, you know, or the law you broke and the severity. But I think, but I believe back in Peter's time, back in ancient Rome and uh, even throughout all of human history, corporal punishment was also an option for, for punishment. You could, you could go to prison, you could pay a fine, or you could be beaten or in, endure physical pain uh, because, of, because of your crime. Um, and that's what I think he's talking about here. And so, specifically, Peter is talking about, when he says when you sin and are beaten for it, I think he's talking about when you, when you do what's wrong and, and you are punished for it. And so, and so I think this can, so this specifically this applies to, to the, the civil, civil laws, breaking civil laws and being punished uh, by the legal system, you know, when you do wrong and are punished for it. But you could widen this, I think, to breaking any law, really. We talked about different kind of laws before. Uh, I, think, I think Tom has, and I remember mentioning as well, there's, you know, there's a civil law, of course, the legal system, and it's, and it's laws, and if you break the law and the legal system, that's a crime. Um, there's that law, but there's also natural law. Um, you know, there's there's certain laws in nature that God has, you know, put here that we fall under, and breaking those laws also has consequences. You know, kind of kind of an obvious example is gravity, right? There's God created this world, and our creation has gravity. If you try to violate the law of gravity, gravity, there will be consequences. You know, you can't you can't break the natural law, and there not be consequences. Um, there's also God's moral law. So God established a moral law um, through creation and, and through his uh, revealed word. And breaking the moral law also uh, has consequences. Um, sometimes it's hard to see because, you know, in the criminal system, if, a, if someone breaks the law, they get punished for it, we can see it. Okay, the law was broken. There's the punishment. We can see it. Uh, some of the natural laws have immediate consequences as well. Hey, you know, you tried to fly and you fell. Right, so you broke, you, you, we immediately see the consequence of trying to break natural law, but some of them we don't, we don't see the consequence right away. Some of them, take, the consequence takes a while or may not even come in this lifetime. Sometimes people can get away with breaking God's moral law for their entire life. Um, but eventually, for any law, there's, there's consequences for breaking the law. Galatians 6 7 says, that, says do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. And so even if consequences don't come immediately or in this life, they do come eventually. 
And that, so, so Peter says, so if, when you sin, and we're talking about, and sin is, I believe, is, is God's standard of right and wrong. So when you do wrong according to what God's standard is, which a lot of the laws in Peter's time and our time do enforce God's law, like stealing, you know, murder, uh, false testimony. You know, there, we do have laws in our society and in Peter's society where it's, it's God's standard, and if you break it, there's consequences. So when you sin, you break God's law uh, and punish for it, uh, or there, there are consequences for it. Um, but then he goes on to say, if, if, when you, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing inside of, inside of God. And so, yeah, there's consequences for breaking the law, but apparently you can also suffer for doing good. And I, I would argue, or I would um, offer that this right here, doing good and suffering for it, when you do good and suffer for it, this could very well be the definition of injustice. You do good and, you're suff- and you suffer for it. This is unjust. Right, you sh- right, we should, the punishments should be for sin, for doing wrong, not for doing good. And if there is punishment for doing good, that's in, that there's injustice there. Um, and then especially when it comes to suffering for doing good according to your faith, right? So you're, you're a Christian, uh, and, and these exiles were Christians. You're living out your faith, uh, and then you, you suffer for it because for whatever reasons uh, someone doesn't like it. Um, this is unjust, and, but, and God sees this, and it's a gracious thing to him. Uh, I think specifically what Jesus has to say on it is the last beatitude in Matthew 5. You know, Jesus says, blessed. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Right? So on Jesus' account, you living out faith in him, people falsely accuse you, they speak evil of you, um, they persecute you, revile you, and, you know, despise you. Jesus says, blessed, is, blessed are you when this happens. He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, Peter says that when this happens, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Uh, that word there, uh, look that up, and, and that gracious thing can also is translated elsewhere as, as grace or favor. And so when this happens, God sees it in, with grace, with favor. It's a gracious thing to him. I think it pleases him when his children endure for doing good. Um, he sees that in... in um, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to, to God. So thinking of some examples, I don't know if any of you guys have ever suffered uh, persecution or harsh treatment in the workplace or at school or in your family uh, because you were living out your faith in Christ and your, your superiors didn't like it. I don't think that it happens a whole lot in our society. I think it does happen, of course. I don't know if it happens a whole lot just because our society is based on freedom of religion. Um, and that really helps us to kind of stay protected to, to live out our faith. Uh, but, I, but I can think of one example, actually, back when I was active duty uh, on the submarine where I got, I got in, into, some, into some trouble for, um, for being you know, op- openly, for being open about, about my faith. Um, 
on the on the sub we we don't have a chaplain and they don't have a chaplain in the, on the, on submarines in the navy so instead the sunday services are led by volunteers laymen and so i volunteered to be the the protestant layman and so um so i was a protestant lay leader and then we had a catholic lay leader as well but these guys would uh volunteers would run the, the sunday services on the boat and so i did this for for a few patrols and i remember uh one patrol i as a lay leader i was going to host a special christmas service as we were underway during christmas um, i was gonna, planning to host a special christmas service and i I, I have the email still, but uh, I didn't bring it with me. Um, and so I sent an email to the, to the whole crew, inviting everybody to this Christmas service. And in that email, uh, I just mentioned that, hey, we're going to have a Christmas service, and actually it's going to be a little different than what you would expect from a Christmas ser- service, because we're actually not going to focus on the cross, or we're not going to focus on Christ's birth. birth we're going to focus on the cross. Um, because, and I said in the email that, you know, without the resurrection, uh, Christmas is just another day, and then I, and I forget how I worded it, but then I, then I went on to say, like, you know, then we'll, so we'll look at how God provided our way to have eternal life. I didn't bring the email, but yeah, I said, so we'll look at how, you know, God's provision for us to have eternal life, and that's kind of how I worded it. I got a reprimand from my, one of my superior officers, the, the executive officer, who sent me an email, and basically said that I was essentially violating the culture of the submarine by advertising for the, the Protestant service when the same wasn't, you know, kind of the same thing wasn't happening for the Catholic service or other religions. Um, I think he mentioned something about having to keep church and state separate, which doesn't really apply to this because just FYI, the whole idea of church, keeping church and state separate um, that does not apply to government employees who are Christian. Like, just because you're a government employee doesn't mean you can't be Christian anymore, right? Uh, the whole idea of keeping church and state separate is to make sure the state doesn't enforce a church on the people. Not that people of faith can't live out their faith, even if they work for the government. So, but, uh, and so, oh, and then, and, then, and then he ended it by saying that he, basically you can't tell people that they'll be condemned for their sins because they don't believe in Jesus. I was like, huh. I didn't really say that. You know, I said that God provided us a way to have eternal life. And he said, came back and said, you can't, you can't tell the whole crew that they're going to be condemned if they don't believe in Jesus. Um, and I was kind of encouraged about that, actually. You know, it's like, I, I guess the message I intended to convey was received. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he didn't like that at all. And then late, later on in the patrol, so I'm leading the the Protestant service, and the, some of the folks who are coming are saying, hey, we want, you know, we want more than just come together on Sundays. Let's have a Bible study in the middle of the week. So yeah, okay, that's a great idea. Let's have a Bible study in the middle of the week. And so I had to get permission uh, from the executive officer to uh, reserve a space on the ship for us to have our Bible study. And he said no. It's like, well, why? And he's like, well, because other religious religions on the boat aren't doing that, and so we can't give favor to one over the other. And it's like, well, they're not asking for it. Like, they, they can if they want to, right? It's like, no, can't do that. So go back to the guys who are coming. It's like, you know, we can't reserve a space um, to, to do the Bible study, so I think we're kind of stuck. And they're like, hey, you know, we, let's just get together and have a Bible study. You know, what, what's wrong with that? It's like, all right, let's, let's do that. Let's get together and have a Bible study. And so one evening when the officer study was free, and this is a 
the officer study is a space with, with a table and chairs, right? There's not a whole lot of spaces on the boat that just has a table and chairs that you can sit around. We had a Bible study, and we watched a video, and the, the, the officer study is right next to the exo stateroom. So I, th- I think he even popped his head in at one point in time because um, you can hear it. But afterwards, yeah, afterwards he called me into his office, and, and then, I got a, then I got the verbal face-to-face reprimand. Like, like you know, you cannot be doing this. This is wrong. Uh, it's, uh, it's not, we're not having the proper balance among religions on the, on the ship, and, you know, I can get in trouble. The CEO can get in trouble. Like, wait, you, you, like, you have to stop doing what you're doing. And so I think that was the last time we had a Bible study. But I, getting, but how I see all that, you know, getting reprimanded by my superior officer because I'm sharing the gospel and having Bible studies is, is unjust suffering. I'm doing good. I'm doing the right thing. And I'm, and I'm getting in trouble for it. And that's, I think that's what, what Peter's talking about here. Um, just because the society doesn't agree that it's the right thing, the society thinks it's the wrong thing, but God knows it's the right thing. And so God knows you're doing good and you suffer for it. Um, it's, a, it's a gracious thing to him. Um, let me read real quick from, actually, I passed that point, so we won't do that. In, in Acts chapter 5, uh, the, the apostles got in some trouble. Right, the apostles were out preaching and teaching that Christ rose from the dead. This is Acts 5, so this is after the resurrection. And uh, they got arrested, and they, had to, they got put in prison. An angel of the Lord came and broke them out of prison, said, go back to the temple and continue preaching. So they did. They went back to the temple and continued preaching. The next day they got arrested again and brought back before the council. Um, and the council said, hey, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. And, they said, and Peter said, hey, are we going to listen to you, listen to man, or are we going to listen to God? All right, we're going to obey God. We're not going to obey man. And went on to explain how they killed Christ, um, and he rose from the dead and, and is alive forevermore. They got very upset, and so they, they beat the apostles, and they beat him, and they sent him away. And actually, what I forgot to mention, so that is another example in the Bible of corporal punishment. So the apostles endured corporal punishment for preaching the gospel outside when they were told not to. Um... And actually, Peter was among them, so I'm kind of inter- it's interesting that Peter mentions it again, like, hey, when you, when you, I suffer this, when you suffer this, here's how to respond. But anyways, in the next verse, um, so, so I guess, how do the, uh, what do the apostles think about that, that they got reprimanded, they got, they got, had endured physical pain because they're out doing good. And in Acts 5, 41, it says, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They were rejoicing. Uh, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And so this, this is pretty awesome. Actually, if, if you in, are, suffer in, injustice because of your faith, you can find joy in that. That is, that is very honorable in the sight of God. And that's what the, uh, the apostles did. They rejoiced. They were counted worthy to suffer uh, for the name of Christ. That's pretty awesome. Um, some other examples in the Bible of... of get him ousted, uh, had a law created that made, to make prayer illegal. And so Daniel knew that it was the right thing to do was pray to God even if it was illegal, so he kept doing it, and so he got thrown in the lines then. Right, Daniel got thrown in the lines then for, for doing good. He was doing good. He was praying to the one true God. And he, he, had to, he suffered for it. He suffered injustice. Uh, Stephen is another example of one who suffered. Stephen 
was a deacon in the early church and was doing good things and I think it says he was performing some miracles and some of his uh, um, opposition uh, created some false accusations, uh, put him on trial, and they ended up putting him, stoning him to death. They, they put him to death. But he, he suffered uh, for doing good. And of course, we'll get to the, the ultimate example here in a minute. Uh, next verse, 1 Peter 2.21. Peter says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. I want to pause here for a minute, make sure we don't miss this. All right. so Peter says, For to this you have been called, because... So, he, so we have been called to something, and he gives us the reason we've been called to it here. What have we been called to? To this you have been called to what? To suffering. To suffering unjustly. We're called to it. This is a, not, probably not one of those verses, you rem, your, your memory verses in life, right, to keep you in, encouraged. Um, but we, we have, as Christians, we have been called to suffer for the name of Christ. Um, and, if, and, if, and I don't know that just because we're all called to suffer means we all will, per se, but if you do, uh, this, is, this is a calling. This is part of being a Christian in a non-Christian world. And, and as you can see here, we've been called to it because our, our leader, our Savior, he went through it. And he went through it, and so he gave us, and if we're going to follow in his footsteps, we go through it too. Right, Jesus said in John fifteen twenty, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And so as we go through life, following Christ, um, sharing our lives with people, um, sharing Christ with people, uh, doing good, uh, some will persecute you for it, and s- some will accept it. All right, but as, as we go through life, not everyone accepts it, some don't, and if that brings along persecution, you know, this, this is part of the calling of us as Christians, uh, and, to, to, and to endure it patiently, as Peter says. So Christ is our example. He suffered for us. And so the, now Peter goes on to really dive into what, what Jesus did for us so that we might follow in his steps. Next verse says, here referring to Jesus, he committed no sin. He did, he did nothing wrong. No wrongdoing. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now this is our example for how we respond in suffering as well. Um, Peter, I think, is reiterating what is mentioned in Isaiah 53. Um, if, if you are not familiar with Isaiah chapter 53, it's actually Isaiah second half 52 and all of 53, I highly recommend taking some time to, to read through that and understand that. It is 
the, the prophecy of the suffering servant, which is Jesus, the suffering servant for us because of what he went through to go to the cross and to pay for our sins. But Peter gets this from Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 verse 9 says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. No deceit in his mouth. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Peter is confirming for us this prophecy is fulfilled, but showing us that Jesus did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He said nothing wrong. Yet he suffered. Um, Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Right? Even though he could have, he did not, even though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not speak evil to the people who, was, who were accusing him or uh, torturing him or carrying out the sen- his death sentence. He, he, he stayed silent. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He did not retaliate with, with threats. Like, hey, you're going to get yours. I'm getting mine now, but hey, you're going to get yours. He did not threaten them. He just stayed silent and entrusted himself to him who judges justly. One day, every injustice will be judged. God promises us that, that he is the judge, and that one day, justice will be, all justice will be, will be served. And we can trust him that he has that taken care of, right? Just as Jesus did. Jesus entrusted himself to God, the one who judges justly. We can entrust ourselves to let God judge and let God serve justice, even when we want to because of the injustice that we, that we suffer. This is a very difficult thing. Uh, very, mat- very mature character trait to be able to suffer injustice and continue suffering it, knowing that God will, will handle the justice in, in his timing. But this, I believe this is what Peter's talking about and is what we're called to. And Peter finishes uh, this section. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so, in Galatians 3, uh, Paul teaches us that anyone who is hanged on a tree uh, is a curse, or curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so, because Jesus hung on the cross, he became a curse for us. And in Galatians, it explains that Jesus became a curse so that we can be redeemed from the curse. And then here, in Peter's talking about by, by Jesus' wounds we have been healed, and like sheep are going astray. That also comes from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6 says that, that Jesus, or the suffering servant, he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus took all of our sin. He, he, did, no, he did nothing wrong. He, um, he did no wrong, yet he took on all that is wrong onto himself. This is the ultimate form of injustice. Right? Jesus was unjustly punished for nothing that he did, but, but for everything that we've done and we will do. Um, it's helpful to remember how we have been un, unjust to God, how we have broken his law, and how that deserves punishment. But God in his grace has punished Christ in our place so that we don't have to be punished for our wrongdoing. And so even as people, as, as we go through life and others um, cause us to suffer through injustice, let us always remember the ultimate injustice that Christ went through when he took on our sin. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we humbly just thank you and praise you so much for what you did on the cross. You committed no sin. You did no wrong. You said no wrong. You did no wrong. Yet you were punished. You suffered. And you took on all of, all of our wrongdoing. Everything that, that we've done wrong, breaking God's law, um, all of our sin, you took it all on, even though you didn't deserve any of it. And you took the punishment, Lord God. You took God's wrath in our place. You died in our place so that we don't have to die. Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, for suffering injustice, for suffering in, injustice on our behalf before, before the Father, or so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be redeemed, so we can, be, so we can die to sin and live to righteousness, being made righteous in your sight. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more about Grace Church, visit our website, wlgrace.org. See you next week.